Old Radio Listening Society, a podcast dedicated to suspense, crime, and horror stories from the golden age of radio. I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. We love mysterious old-time radio stories, but do they stand the test of time? That's what we're here to find out. Today, I chose an episode of Suspense entitled Kaleidoscope. One of radio's most prestigious and longest-running shows, Suspense premiered on CBS in 1942 and continued to thrill audiences until its final broadcast in 1962. The show quickly gained a reputation for its mastery of the genre, attracting some of radio's greatest talents, including the stars of today's episode William Conrad, Stacey Harris, and Parley Bear. Kaleidoscope is based on a story by Ray Bradbury, first published in the October 1949 issue of Thrilling Wonder Stories, and later collected in Bradbury's 1951 short story compilation, The Illustrated Man. In addition to Kaleidoscope, The Illustrated Man contains many other stories frequently adapted for audio, Marionettes Incorporated, The Fox in the Forest, The Velt, and Zero Hour. Kaleidoscope, in particular, has a long and storied radio resume. It was first adapted for the audio medium in 1951 for the NBC series Dimension X. Scriptwriter George Lefferts took significant liberties with the story, transforming Bradbury's tragic tale into a straightforward morality play. Four years later, Anthony Ellis adapted, produced, and directed the suspense version you are about to hear. In 1984, Michael McDonough produced an acclaimed series of Bradbury adaptations for national public radio called Bradbury 13, including an immersive, almost cinematic take on Kaleidoscope. Finally, an expanded 40-minute interpretation was produced by BBC Radio in 1991 as part of a one-off series called The Shape of Things to Come. I hope this chronology piques your interest because I plan to eventually feature all of these productions in a series of discussions similar to our annual Signalman presentation. And now let's listen to Kaleidoscope from Suspense, originally aired July 12, 1955. It's late at night, and a chill has set in. You're alone, and the only light you see is coming from an antique radio. Listen to the sounds coming from the speaker, listen to the music, and listen to the voices. And now, tonight's presentation of radio's outstanding theater of thrills... Suspense. Tonight, we depart from the usual to bring you a play from one of the greatest authors of science fiction, Mr. Ray Bradbury. It is the story of a last voyage in a spaceship and the six men who took it. So now, starring Mr. William Conrad, here is tonight's suspense play, Kaleidoscope. She was a spaceship cargo carrier, seven years old with over a million and a half miles lost in her wake. Within her metallic skin was the world of the crew, an atom of life surrounded by a vast expanse of nothingness. The ship and the crew were owned by the company, a third-class vessel operated by third-class personnel, and each of us hoping that in our day would come promotion to second class, or even to first and the great hushed passenger liners, which were also owned by the company. 
The company ran everything. There wasn't anyone else to work for. And you accepted what was given. Not gratefully, but with hope. There were 19 of us to begin with on a routine voyage. Our cargo, seasoned lumber. I was at control on the second day out. Stone navigating. On the nose. Good. Control. Bearing mark, Captain. Right. Hollis, where's the captain? In his cabin. On the bottle again, huh? Why didn't you ask him? I don't have to, Stoney. I can smell him all the way out. You want something, Applegate? See, tube's blowing again. It isn't showing on the indicator. I can't help that. Wait a minute. Captain, control. Yeah. Applegate reports see tube blowing, sir. Oh? It doesn't show on the indicator, sir. All right. I'll be right there. Now, what was the idea of that? What? Telling him it didn't show. You trying to louse me up? You better keep check on that tube. Who's giving orders? I am. Oh, my sash to you, friend. Oh, come on, Applegate. I don't want to blow up. I've got two weeks of pay coming when we get back. Yeah, give me a power check, will you? Sure. Something must be haywire with the indicator. Get it straightened out, Hollis. Uh, she's not firing in sequence, sir. Heating up, too. Uh, let me see. I don't like this. Rockets, here's the captain. Simpson, sir. It's C-tube, I think. Heating the others, too. Lock-off's frozen. Use emergency. Stand by. Come on, come on. Control, Mrs. Applegate. Emergency doesn't answer. It's getting too hot. Maybe it'll answer from here, sir. Applegate, get your men out of there. Stand by to abandon. She's going, sir. Shall I sound the alarm? Yes. This is the captain. This is the captain. Get into your suits. You've got about two minutes, maybe less. Get into your suits. The ship is going to explode. Get into your suits. Abandon. Abandon. Get into your suits. Concussion cut the spaceship up the side like a giant can opener. Those of us who weren't immediately killed were thrown into space like wriggling silverfish, scattered into a dark sea. And the ship, and a million pieces, went on. A meteor swarm seeking a lost sun. The sound of our voices calling like lost children on a cold night. Hollis, this is Stone. Hello. Stone. Stone, this is Hollis. Where are you? I don't know. How can I? Which way is up? I'm falling. Oh, God, I'm falling. We're going away from each other. Who is that? This is the captain. Who is that? Lester. Captain. Where are you? We were hurtling in space in every direction. And now, instead of men, there were only voices. Voices communicating by radio phone. All kinds of voices, disembodied and impassioned in varying degrees of terror and resignation. All moving away from one another. We were wearing our seal-tight spacesuits with glass tubes over our faces. But there hadn't been time to lock on the propulsion units. Not time enough. And without them, we were meteors, senseless, each going to a separate and irrevocable fate. This is the captain. 
I want a roll call. <laughs> who, who, who is that? This is Applegate, sir. Applegate. Next. Lespair. Who? Lespair. Simpson. Lespair. Simpson. Dawn. Hollis. Uh, anybody else? Anyone else? Stone to Hollis. How long can we talk up phone? Well, it depends on how fast you're going your way and I'm going mine. An hour, I make it. What happened? The rocket blew up. Didn't you feel it? That's all. Rockets do blow up. Which way are you going? It looks like I'll hit the moon. Well, it's Earth for me. That's nice. Back to old Mother Earth at 10,000 miles an hour. I'll burn like a match when I hit the atmosphere. Well, Stone's going to the moon. I know where I'd like to see Applegate go. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. It's a long way down. Who's that? I don't know. Stimson, I think. Stimson, is that you? This is Hollis. It's a long, long way, and I don't like it. I don't like Stimson, it. Stimson, this is Hollis. Stimson, do you hear me? Stimson? Yes? You take it easy now. I don't want to We're be all here. in the same fix. I don't want to be here, I'm afraid. There's a chance we'll be found. <laughs> I heard that. Oh, what a liar you are, Hollis. You shut up, Applegate. But come and make me. Come on, Alice. Come and make me shut up. I don't believe this. I don't believe any of this is happening. Not to me. It's a bad dream. Now take it easy, Stumpson. Hey, you know, I don't feel so bad. Who's that? It's me, Stone Lestair. I was just thinking. I've had a pretty good time. Lots of good times. Hey, did I ever tell you about my wife? Which one? Who's that? Applegate. Oh, sure. How do you feel, Applegate? Oh, why don't you shut up? No kidding about my wife, the one on Mars. Did I ever tell you? That's enough. This is the captain. We've got to figure a way out of this. Make a plan. I sash to you, what, Captain. What did you say? Oh, you heard me. Don't try pulling rank on me. You're 10,000 miles away by now. You listen to me, Applegate. Consider this a mutiny of one, Captain. Hang me. <laughs> Kill me. Look, I want to tell you something. Your ship was a bad ship, and you were a bad captain, and I hope you break wherever you're going. I'm ordering you to stop, Applegate. Be my guest. Order me some more. You're going to put me in chains till we land? My sash to you, Captain. Hey, fellas, let me tell you about my wife, the one on Venus. <laughs> it doesn't matter now. I guess anybody can know now. Oh, listen, I had it real good. One wife on Mars, another on Venus, one on Jupiter. <laughs> oh, boy, what a time. Hey, Stone. Yeah? Remember the time we put into Mars port for repairs? I remember. Well, uh, that's when I met the first one. You know what those Mars girls are like. <laughs> well... Spare went on and on with his talk about his wife. An interplanetary bigamist. His money, his wonderful time, drunkenness, gambling. On and on, while we fell in space away from each other. Lesper reminiscing on the past, happy while he fell to his death. Space. Thousands of miles of space and the voice vibrating in the center of it. 
No one visible at all, only the radio waves quivering and trying to quicken other men into emotion. I tell you, when a man's had a life like I've had, it's not so bad. <laughs> not much left for me to do, I guess. Men, this is the captain. I want you to know that I'm very grateful for your loyalty. You've been a good crew. Hollis, Stone, if you get out of this, I have you both posted for a promotion. It'll go through when you report. Applegate, I wish that... Captain? Captain? Ten to one on meteorite got him. Any takers? Hollis! Hollis, can you think of something? Something to do? Why ask him, Simpson? I'll tell you something to do. Make it quick, easy. Open the valve on your suit. We're finished, all of us. Who cares? No one's going to cry over me. (laughs) And we fell through space. Five of us living. Each in his orbit of loneliness. Moving away from the other. From this outer edge of my life, looking back, there was one remorse. And that, only that I wish I could go on living. All dying people feel that way, Hollis. What? Uh, oh, Stone, I, I i didn't know I was thinking out loud. Funny, as if I'd never lived. Yeah, I know. I know. Hollis? Hey, Hollis. What is it? Sample gate again. All right, what? Let you and me talk, huh? Go ahead. You hate my guts, don't you? I never thought much about it. Oh, don't give me that. You and that superior way of yours. I want to tell you something. I was the one who blackballed you with a rocket company five years ago. Did you hear me? I heard you. Well, how does that make you feel? Nothing. You wanted to get to the top all your life, I know. I'll bet you always wondered what happened. Well, it was me. See, I put the black mark on you before I was tossed out myself. It isn't important. Well, I had a good time. (laughs) Yeah, it's a good thing to think about, too. I had a wife on Mars, Venus, one in Jupiter. So you said, (laughs) And I'm saying it again. I like to think about it. They all had money, too. Oh, yes, they treated me just fine. You know, once I got drunk and gambled $20,000, $20,000 in one night, just like that. <laughs> oh, it's been a good life. But you're here now, Lospear. I didn't have any of those things. I was jealous of you, funny little man. How did you rate it? The women, the good times. Women frightened me. And I went into space always wanting them, jealous of you for having them, and money, and as much happiness as man could want. And I'm not jealous anymore, though, because it's over for you just the way it is for me. Now it's like it never was. It's all over, Lespere. It just never was. You hear me, Lespere? Who's there? It's Hollis. Do you hear me? You're out here, Lespere, falling, dying. It's all over. 
Just as if it never happened, isn't it? No. It happened. When anything's over, it's just like it never happened. Where's your life any better than mine now, huh? Now's what counts. Is it any better? Is it? Yes, it's better. How? How? Because I've got my thoughts. Good thoughts. I remember. Thoughts. What good? What good are they? You gonna be rescued? You gonna live more than a few hours? I'm resting easy. I've had my turn. I'm not getting vicious at the end. Not like you. Vicious? Vicious. Take it easy, Hollis. I know how you feel, Hollis. I, I don't take it personally. You're all right. I always thought that. Hey, what? What's the matter? I, I can see something. Stone? Stone? Yeah, I, I can see lights. They look like lights. Where? What? Where? Where are you? Must be a ship. Maybe they'll see us. Which way are you going, Stone? It, it's lights, I tell you. I can see them plain. Which way? Which way? Where are you, Stone? Where? Hey, <laughs> Guess what? Huh? What? Stone? What? 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 I got myself into a meteor swarm. Little asteroid. Meteors? Yes, I think it's a Myrmidon cluster. You know, Hollis, the the one that goes out past Mars and in toward Earth once every five years. Well, I'm right in the middle. Stone? Stone? It's like a big kaleidoscope. That's what I thought with the light. All kinds of colors and shapes. It's beautiful. All that metal... I'm going with them. They're taking me with them. I'll be... Stone! So long, Hollis. So long. Good luck, Stone! (laughs) Don't be funny. I looked. There was nothing. Only the great diamonds and sapphire and emerald mist and velvet inks of space. And then in the sudden calmness of his going, there was a kind of wonder in the thought of Stone going off in the meteor swarm, out past Mars for years, and coming in toward Earth every five years, passing in and out for the next million centuries. Alice, this is Lestair. You all right? Yes, I'm fine. I can't hear you so good. You there? Alice? This is Hollis. I'm okay. You? Alice, there must be something wrong with the phone. Alice, can you hear me? Uh, say something, will you? Turn up the booster. Turn up your booster. Alice, can you hear me? Yeah, yes, yes, I hear you. Hey, that's fine now, yeah. Oh, I thought you were gone. Who are you talking to? The stone. Uh, hey, uh, who else is around? Applegate. Uh, Applegate. I'm here. Stimson! Stimson! Hey, Stimson! I guess he's gone, too. Spare, can you see anything? Uh, I wasn't looking, I was thinking. I figure I'll hit Mars. <laughs> Mars. Wouldn't that be something if I landed in the wife's backyard? <laughs> She'd get a kick out of that. <laughs> That's pretty funny, huh? Is that you, Applegate? No. I thought it was you. Uh, Hollis? No, it must be Simpson. Simpson? Simpson? I, I want to wake up! Mama! Mama, I want to wake up! 
Make him stop, will you? Samson, shut him up. Samson. Samson, will you listen to me? Now, Samson, listen to me. Elko Gates, right. It'll be easier. You open your valve. Open it. Listen to me, Samson. Open your valve. Now. Do it now. It won't hurt. Only a second, Samson. Open your valve, Samson. Alice? Applegate? Yeah. Has he gone? I guess so. Oh. Hey, anybody know what time it is? Oh, what do you care? What'd you say? Applegate? The boost is fading. Uh, what did you say? I don't know. Oh, well, I guess it doesn't matter. Habit, I suppose. You mind if I keep talking? Kind of passes the time. The goodbyes, voices dying, men dying. The awareness of life, my own. What can I do? Is there anything I can do to make up for a terrible and empty life? If only I could do one good thing to make up for the meanness I collected all these years and didn't even know it was in me. Hollis? Hollis, this is Applegate. Yes? Hollis, that was right you told Stimson to do. I, I said it to make him feel bad, but you did it right. I murdered him. No, 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 you didn't. Listen, Hollis, this isn't good, this thing between you and me. It's a bad way to die. Are you listening, Hollis? Yes, I'm listening. I, I lied. I didn't blackball you. Can you hear me? Yes. Listening to your talk when you were saying those things to Lespair about it not mattering, and he said about you being vicious... Made me ashamed. I've been like that, too. It's all right. They understand. Can you get Lespair? No. No, he was gone an hour ago. Can you hear him? No. Last thing I heard, he... He was singing a dirty song. Quite a guy. Yeah. You're fading out. You, too. What? I... I hope everything's okay with you, Applegate. I... I hope you go to heaven or wherever you want. I hope for you. You're getting soft, Hollis. Better open your valve. So long. Take it easy, Applegate. So long, Hollis. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. Applegate! Applegate! So long. Any time now, I'll hit the Earth's atmosphere. I'll burn and be scattered in ashes all over the continental land. That I'll be put to use. Just a little bit, but ashes are ashes, and they'll add to the land. 
I wanted to make something of my life. To be liked. To do good for people. To make them happy. Now it's all gone. I wish I could do a good thing. Just something for me to know about. When I hit the atmosphere, I'll burn like a meteor. I wonder if anyone will see me. Time for bed, Sonny. I saw it. Make a wish, dear. Make a wish. Suspense in which Mr. William Conrad starred in tonight's presentation of Kaleidoscope, written by Ray Bradbury. Next week, the story of two people and the terror that rode with them in the city. We call it Backseat Driver. That's next week on Suspense. by Anthony Ellis, who adapted tonight's script. The music was composed by Rennie Garrigan and conducted by Wilbur Hatch. Special technical effects by Robert Chadwick. Featured in the cast were Stacey Harris, Harley Bear, Howard McNear, John Daner, Sam Edwards, Georgia Ellis, and Master Jonathan Ellis. This is the CBS Radio Network. That was Kaleidoscope from Suspense here on the Mysterious Old Radio Listening Society podcast. Once again, I'm Eric. I'm Tim. And I'm Joshua. Whoa. (laughs) Oh, man. That seems like the most appropriate analysis of this. And then, Tim, tell him stuff. (laughs) Whoa. Uh, So, you know, my knowledge of Bradbury stuff is all because of you, too. And so I was not familiar with this story. And uh, here's how it goes. Oh, it's a Bradbury thing. Oh, it's hit and miss with me. Sometimes this old science fiction stuff doesn't stand the test of time with me. And I'm not, you know, a diehard fan of it. So, oh, it's Bradbury. Oh, it's got William Conrad. Okay. So this is the first 20 seconds. (laughs) Oh, okay. Oh, we're in a spaceship. Sweet. (laughs) Oh, yeah, things are not happening. Not in a spaceship anymore. <laughs> right. Oh, it blew up. What's going to happen? Oh, they're going to land on a planet. They're going to... What's going to... Oh, my God. <laughs> is, this is horrifying. Please. Wasn't there just a Clooney movie recently where they were floating around for a long time? This has gravity? Been, yeah, gravity. And uh-huh. there's been other takeoffs on this of... I'm floating in space. I've never seen a movie past 1970, probably, so I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> but it's kind of like gravity, right? There's some overlap. 
They're different beasts. I will say this, between uh, the last few weeks, this one, and upcoming, I think we've uh, fulfilled our William Conrad quota. (laughs) (laughs) Conrad's great in this, isn't he? Oh, my God. Yeah. So good in this. uh, To ride on Eric's coattails, as I often do, um, (laughs) I'm also not as well-versed in in Bradbury as uh, my geek stature might intimate, but... Like, at the end of this, I found myself saying the stupid thing. I'm like, wow, Bradbury's a really good writer, and Suspense <laughs> is a really good show. <laughs> and that's the end of Tim's commentary right. on the podcast. <laughs> There's more, but I felt dumb for coming to that conclusion. But it's true. It, it's true. So here now begs the question to inform myself and possibly Tim. Yeah. Bradbury's original story, how close are we? Well- To back up a couple steps. Sure. This has been on my list to bring to the podcast since we started this podcast. And part of the problem is, is there are a lot of interesting takes on Kaleidoscope. And I kept changing my mind what I wanted to bring to -hmm. the podcast. And it came up a little while ago uh, during one of our Patreon happy hours is, uh, oh, we were talking about Bradbury and I was like, I'm going to do it. I'm going to pull the trigger and bring Kaleidoscope. Right. And because I knew at least you, Eric, had never read this story, I don't Good know if... guess. <laughs> I don't know if Tim was familiar with the story or not. I only know that there's been a staged version that was really well received here that I didn't see. Good. So I... That's I just, a lot of fly wire. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So to answer your question, Eric, I decided to choose the adaptation that is the closest huh. in spirit, in theme, in intent, I think, to Bradbury's original. It's shortened. There are some characters who are combined a little, and Andy Ellis omits a few things, but the important things are all there. Yeah. And I think script-wise, this is the truest version of the radio adaptations I've heard. Nice. And that's why I picked it. And I love the story. The story is just horrifying. But it's tragic (laughs) and it's poetic. It is brutally unforgiving, yet also redemptive in many ways. And I think it is just uniquely suited for audio. Oh, yeah. I mean, because the whole thing is about communicating. Yeah. There's the actual line in here. And now instead of men, there were only voices disembodied and impassioned in varying degrees of terror and resignation. Yeah. (laughs) And I also chose this one because there are some really good performances in many of the other versions I've heard, but you just, as an old-time radio podcast, can't beat these legendary Mm -hmm. radio greats. Mm -hmm. William Conrad, Stacey Harris, Parley Bear, they just give it their all. Yep. And... In many ways, I'm always interested in adaptations that are extremely close to the original publication date of the story. Right, and so this right. is within about five or six years. The Dimension X one is actually just a little over a year after the original story was published. And that's fascinating for other reasons. But there are enough variations in these productions that I really do think we could listen to all of them at some point. So that's what that belief is what allowed me to finally choose an episode, is knowing I could maybe do them all at some point. <laughs> I think this would be an excellent replacement for our Christmas show. 
<laughs> Merry Christmas, pretty everybody. Festive, yes. <laughs> it's a star. <laughs> uh, I will confess, the first listen through, it was one of those like, I'm a little sleepy. All right, I'm getting the gist of the what's plapping. Okay, that's what happened. And did not get the details and everything. So it was the second time through that I wasn't looking for plot because there's not a lot of plot, really. No. Um, but there is so much granularity and nuance in the character in, uh, interactions and, and beats. And when you accept, like, the, the, it's very, very sparse in what's going to happen, all these details really come to the forefront. And also, I didn't want to rush into it, but the soundscape they created was just amazing. The sound of the radio waves, I thought was... Interesting choice because you could have done it without anything. Yeah. Clicks on and off of, of people talking, but it added something. I mean, think about that. I think we would have a long discussion if we recorded this, would we add that or not? Because you could go yeah, either way. I the think si- to do that, yeah. Yeah, the silence of it would also have worked. The radio waves quivering yeah. is how they describe the sound in the background. And it has, has this electronic din yep. mm-hmm. uh, that gets... Sounds like a, a little claustrophobic in a strange way, even though they're floating free in this expanse of nothingness. That sound added for me the, that sense of disorientation. It also has a slight sound to it after a while of jungle sounds, like yeah. birds. I thought the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. But to pick up on Tim's point about disorientation, and that I think is one of the great directing moments mm-hmm. in here, is that initial disorientation after the ship oh, yeah, explodes. And, all the and Ellis is smart enough to put the listeners in the same disoriented state as the right. crew with just this cacophony of voices calling out, as the script says, in various degrees of terror and desperation. Um, and you don't know who's who. You are, uh, nor do they, yeah, Yeah. nor do they. So you are just exactly where they are. And it is a really effective piece of directing and performance all throughout. That first minute or so of, uh, action and dialogue after the explosion is insane. And coming to terms with, I'm flying towards the moon. I'm flying towards earth. That's where I'm going to die. That's where you're going to (laughs) die. Right. And obviously the heart of this story is how these various men deal with death that is Mm -hmm. now inevitable. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that I find uh, really interesting is that, broadly speaking, two initial camps quickly develop. You have like the Captain, Hollis, and Stimson, who are all in varying degrees of denial. Mm -hmm. Like the Captain and Hollis are in a form of um, practical denial. Because they want to be unemotional and they want to see if there's any possible way to escape this situation. Right. Stimson's is, is in hysterical denial. And then on the flip side... Stimson. <laughs> that guy. Calling for his mama. <laughs> That's so terrible That's when he does so that. terrible. I, um, hate, I hated it. But... I mean, Applegate. I want to oh, hold on for our listeners. Hated it in the sense of it was really difficult effective. to listen to yeah. and effective. Not... That was stupid. Okay, I just want to make sure. Keep going. But then we have Applegate and Lesper who have accepted it, but also Mm -hmm. in different ways. Like there's a bitter acceptance on the part of Applegate, but Lesper is just completely contented and happy, Mm -hmm. floating to his death or falling to his death, however they describe it. And what I think is interesting is once those camps sort of come together, there is some negotiation mainly that happens in the form of Hollis and Applegate, where Mm. they both 
help each other reach a different state of that acceptance. Less bitterness and more forgiveness. And to me, that's the arc Mm -hmm. of the story. Of course, yeah. The coming to terms with their relationship and with who they are and who they were. And they are the ones that have this transformative effect on one another. If this happened to us... Who would you be? Who? Which character would be your reaction? This is such a fabulous situation. Uh, I mean, as in extreme over the top, not fabby awesome. Uh, but <laughs> it's hard for me to imagine. I think you have that hope of who you would be. Hollis, right? Like we all would like beat the Conrad guy. I think he handles it the best, right? Somewhere in the middle of the road. He Seems- is middle of the road, yes. Yeah. The dark side of me would say I'd be on maybe on the other end of the spectrum and be more Applegate-y. Those are the guys that fall in a kind of identifiable spectrum. I would, 100% tell you, I would hope to be Stone. Yeah. Uh, Stone is great. Stone is a He's really- He's almost mythological the way he goes. Yeah, yeah, right? Cool. Stone presents this completely other perspective on death because in that moment when he realizes- He's in the middle of this meteor swarm, and he's commenting on the wonder and beauty of it all, and it's going to take him away. I feel like that's Bradbury commenting on looking at death as a natural process. Right. And accepting it as that, and accepting it as something that can be beautiful if not fought. And while the other guys are fighting it in all their various ways, he just lets himself be taken away. And it's a contrast to how the captain goes of, like, just suddenly don't hear me anymore. Like, Meteor must have got him. Yeah, and the captain's a little sadder to me because he is continuing to try to take command of a situation he has no command over. Uh, My fear is I'm Stimson, by the way. I'm pretty sure I would be. Just screaming. (laughs) So I'd be encouraging you to open your valve. You always are. (laughs) I'm fine. No, open your valve. No, seriously. (laughs) It's just a cold. No. (laughs) Open your valve. When I had COVID and called you and you were like, just open open your valve. (laughs) (laughs) Ah, close your valve. Close your valve. Oh, Oh. that's disgusting. (laughs) Why would you put that in your valve? (laughs) (laughs) Uh, but we joked our way into that scene, but that is probably one of the top most harrowing radio scenes I can think of is Hollis screaming Stimson down from the ledge and talking him into opening the valve. And both of those performances are yep. incredible. And just as his cries and whimpers yep. finally go silent. Yeah, it's incredibly well-performed and directed and wonderful-ish in that a gripping way. As far as storytelling goes, wow, you got me. When I first read this story and heard this adaptation in particular, I will admit that I had a personal issue with Bradbury's choice to represent a life well-lived with a (laughs) interplanetary bigamist. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Because to me, I hear that and I go, well, yeah, of course... Lesper has no regrets because he's never really thought of anyone yeah, but himself. But himself. Yeah. So even in death, he is absolutely oblivious to the feelings of the other man, just chattering on about <laughs> how happy and content. Singing dirty songs. <laughs> yeah. And there's a part of me that can admire that ability to 
close yourself off. But I, in that interaction of like trying to convince him, but no, however you lived your life and however I lived my life, we're in the exact same situation now. Yeah. No, mm-hmm. I'm totally happy. Yeah, I have my <laughs> thoughts, my happy thoughts, but they also come at the expense of any sort of empathy or sympathy. No, but you're others. happy. I'm with him. Just live your life for yourself. Screw everybody else. And then... Uh, Gamble done. your wife's money away. Yeah. 20000 in one sitting. Well done, sir. Well done. I had a friend that once said, uh, spending money, he said, listen, we were actually gambling and we were down something. And he said, listen, I don't want to be on my deathbed and have my last thoughts be, oh my God, I have $200 in my checking account. <laughs> <laughs> I, but so, I, I, I'm sorry, I, I will stop derailing you, but uh, spare in, in his character, I was trying to think of like, so what is it about this guy that makes him so appealing to women instantly in the way that these other characters aren't? Because Hollis is saying he's jealous of him, and it's, it is that no matter what happens, he's fine. Yeah. And also, he's in space. There are just more women. So his odds go up. He's got planets of women. So, you know, I, I grapple with that in this story. So either in my mind, Bradbury is a hedonist who is advocating Trying for this. Fast, like I have wives yes. all over this life of self-gratification. Or I think the particular vices described drinking, gambling, bigamy are less important than the rebellion it represents because right. <laughs> he whatever you think of the dreams that Lesper pursued they represent a rebellion against the dreams that society said he should have or the monolithic company said he should have mm-hmm. and so in that way I can get into it uh, I still think he's a dick though <laughs> <laughs> right down to the very end because it is not uh, Spare, who does the hard, hard thing and talks Stimson into opening his valve, it's Hollis. Right. Mm-hmm. It's not Applegate either, and Applegate admits it. That's yep, Applegate's yeah. turning point where he's like, I just said it out of spite, but you actually did it because it was the right thing to do. Right. And that's where I think Hollis and Applegate both are the characters I think Bradbury wants you to relate to. Question. Are we supposed to assume at the end that that's Hollis's wife and kid or just a random kid and mom? Is he seeing his own dad burn up? I think if he had a wife and kid, it would have come up earlier in the story. Oh, it doesn't actually. He He says, I'm single and all that. And that's that's why he went into space. That's That's part of his regret. I just had that moment at the end. I'm like, oh, is that the final nail in the coffin? (laughs) I, despair. I love that ending. Yeah. Is I mean, it's terrible, but it's that really nice mirroring of yeah. a dying man's regretful wish contrasted with the hopeful wish of childhood. Yep. But they didn't add like the sound effect of, ah, I'm on fire! <laughs> ah, ah, burns! <laughs> or what the kid wished for. <laughs> True. <laughs> I hope I never get old and bloated like William Conrad. <laughs> <laughs> I hope I have a wife on Mars and Venus. <laughs> Gamble $20,000. <laughs> I wish I had a spaceman's helmet. Hey! Uh, there's a the type of horrific thing that was uh, Stimson. And then there was that first scene of the, the spaceship just going. Like, in a matter of Three 15 minutes. seconds? Yeah. 
Like, oh, there's a problem. Well, can you... De- um, uh, and we're completely destroyed. That makes me a little crazy. That thought of just how fast... Uh, and even with the setup of this is a third-rate ship with a third-rate crew, the captain has been drunk, and yeah, all these things that it's, it's in the same place in my mind as oh, and then you trip and break your neck and you die, and it just happens like that. Uh, in Bradbury's story, it just opens with the ship exploded like a can opener ripped it apart. There's no background oh, there's no or no setup. setup. It just starts with them in space, and I get it for a radio adaptation that you want to maybe meet these guys. And know a little and get oriented first. And I think Ellis does a really great job setting up the ideas that Bradbury explores. So the whole opening sequence is added by him. He even foreshadows the hostility between Hollis and Applegate. And even the company and the fact that it's one company and that's what everyone works for. (laughs) When I got to that point and they were talking about that, there's grapes of wrath in space. (laughs) (laughs) But what I find interesting about that is today we could read it as some commentary on capitalism, but what's fascinating about it is by adding that information, it's less a comment on capitalism and more an act of controlling for variables like in an experiment. Because if there's just one company to work for, this is sort of the life of everybody, then these handful of men facing death can accurately compare themselves mm-hmm. to one another and measure their their similar lives against each other. There aren't too many variables like differences in privilege or differences in work or class then. So it allows this discussion to really work. Yeah. Everything that one guy did that the other didn't in life, they actually could have. Right. Yeah, yeah. If you approached me with this, I also would have added the explosion just because it would be so fun to do the explosion, the spaceship on radio. Mm -hmm. Like that would be my whole thing, not to establish character or anything dorky like that. Just like, we got to hear the thing blow up and then (laughs) that's cool. The alarm ramping up. Well, I think that disorientation that we all commented on once they end up in space is more powerful having been with them on the ship. Mm -hmm. It took me on my second listen to catch that, that they had not had time to get the uh, propulsion packs or whatever they called it that would have allowed them to steer Mm -hmm. themselves which was part of that disorientation of normally we would expect we got our suit on, we're fine, we can do something about it. And it's the realization of like, ship blew up just now in my suit, can't move. And it's it's following the logic through to I'm going to die. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, what other jolly thoughts do we have <laughs> on I this? Will, I will end in one not so jolly thought, but particularly the line that I can't remember what context it's used, but it's in the narration about they're all in their orbit of loneliness. Yeah. And that's where I think this story is really powerful in that it is just a clear metaphor for mm-hmm. the way we live our lives, not blown up in space. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that we are largely disconnected mm-hmm. from each other and we are driven by fear and jealousies mm-hmm. and how difficult it is. Where's for my us. valve? You know, how, <laughs> just difficult for us to offer that forgiveness or that grace or that understanding. Mm-hmm. Um, and it comes right in the last final moments for Applegate and Hollis. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think we should go on. 
what's the point in anything? <laughs> no, we should listen to every version of this story one after another. Right. <laughs> back to back to back. But honestly, there are enough variations that, trust me, they will lead to fascinating discussions that will fill your life with joy. <laughs> Tim, you remember... Uh... A few years back, when you were up for that job at that big theater company. I've never been up for a job. I, I blacklisted you. I thought I'd come clean. I'm sure that if you, they would say, who? <laughs> well, who wants to vote first? My vote is going to be obvious. Yeah. I think this is a classic. Uh, mm -hmm. The performances are incredible. The adaptation is really good, very economical. I mean, this is later era suspense, so I think uh, Tim expressed an admiration for the sound effects, and, and I agree, but they're a little more minimal, and maybe the music mm -hmm. is, than, you know, well, the 1940s. Credits they had given special credit to someone for doing the effects, which I yeah. assume were those radio waves. Yeah. I mean, it's a little minimal, but I think Ellis uses it really imaginatively, as we already expressed. Again, I might have gone with complete silence other than talking, just because they were floating in space. Yeah. Uh, I will say exactly what you said. This is a classic. This is magnificently directed, written, and performed. I will also say that I had a huge admiration for William Conrad. And in the last few weeks, I it has catapulted. Like, I always loved the guy. But in the last few weeks of this podcast, I'm going, wow, I may have underestimated him. And I and I loved him. Do you know what I mean? Like His, his goodbye to oh. Applegate. I mean, talk about that. It's just perfect. Yeah. Yeah. And, it's like a study in wax all over again in space. Right. It's also Stacey Harris. <laughs> right. That's true. Yes. So all of that being said, it's beautiful piece of storytelling top to bottom. I will never listen to this again. This is right up there with Schindler's List, Saving Private Ryan. No, no. You can bring the other adaptations. I'll okay. listen to those. But I'll listen to them all once. Because that was horrifyingly depressing. And it, it wasn't funny. Nothing funny happened. <laughs> it was Bear sang a dirty song. That's always funny. <laughs> that was really hard on me to listen to that. I was crying with it. I was exasperated. I was mortified. And yay you, yeah. you got me. Yeah, you're Stimson. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he was crying for his mama. It was yeah. really hard to watch. <laughs> I have enjoyed floating in space with you, but I don't want to float in space with you again. <laughs> uh, I would call this a classic as well. Like I said earlier, it swept me away to the degree that I then realized that I had forgotten this is Ray Bradbury and this is suspense. So that after it was all done, I thought, who wrote this? What show is this? This is so good. <laughs> um, we should put this in a podcast so other people can hear it. <laughs> Which makes me sound dumb. But um, I guess that is what is called exceeding my expectations because the expectations are so high like this is a fantastic science fiction writer this is a fantastic show uh and by the time i was done i it was on a plane by itself level by itself i don't know not like on a plane <laughs> <laughs> was a gorilla <laughs> flying it <laughs> you beat me to it oh uh, and then it blew up <laughs> and there's an opera scene gorilla floating in space 
I'd In listen to space, it again. no one can hear your opera singing gorilla. <laughs> it was a classic. Performance, technical-wise, story-wise. Yeah. Across the board. Not one nitpick. Not one. Other than, I don't feel good about anything now. Life's worthless. I'm on board with you of... of it is purposely like, we want to get you really in these characters' hearts and heads and be with them at one of the most terrifying moments of their lives. Like, that's mean. At the same time, these characters, they're beautiful in this moment in some ways. Yep. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice, to, it's nice. Um, to see that side of these characters is enjoyable. Even if this was really happening to them, I would probably help instead of like, you know what, tell me more about your thoughts. But. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, before I get done to that moment of where he's narrating and then someone responds to him because he doesn't realize he's oh, speaking his yeah, thoughts yeah. out loud. Yeah, that's another great moment. There's too many to talk about. Let's listen to this episode again. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, Tim, tell him stuff. Please go visit ghoulishdelights.com, home of this podcast. We have a bunch of other episodes there you can listen to. You can vote in polls. Let us know what you think. You can respond in comments. Tell us what you've done wrong in your life. <laughs> you can link to social media pages. We, we've got all kinds of social media stuff. Um, Facebook. It's Facebook. <laughs> you can also link to our Threadless store, buy some swag, or find our Patreon store. Yes. Store. It's a store. Give us money. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can go to patreon.com slash the morals and support this podcast. Now, Tim brought up social media platforms, and this is a huge step for us. Uh, if you become um, Patreon, uh, you will have access to our Discord noun. I get confused about whether there's service or channels. Yeah, that's what it is. I don't know what it is, honestly. Run the Discord. Yes. And it's (laughs) Eric's looking at us confused. (laughs) What are we talking about? We'll explain it to you later. (laughs) It's a way that our patrons can basically chat with each other and talk through the Discord server. And it does not sow discord. In fact, it does the opposite. Yes. It builds community. So it's ironically named, uh, but it's a lot of fun. And uh, Eric is not a part of it, as you can clearly hear. We'll get him on there. But you'll uh, maybe join Patron and uh, get to connect with other fans of the podcast and old time radio in general. And that is only one perk. One of the smallest, most meager perks, in fact. So <laughs> get all of them by becoming a patron today. I just figured out Facebook. <laughs> Facebook is a place where you go to a homepage and people advertise to you. Exactly. That's what that is. And then I uh, click on sweaters that uh, I can't get. You get your Wordle scores. Oh, yeah. and get my oh. Wordle scores. <laughs> Hey, if you'd like to see us perform, we do old-time radio recreations and original radio drama. Uh, We are an audio theater company in addition to being this podcast, and we perform monthly. If you'd like to find out where we're performing this month, this being uh, February of 2022, again, I just get terrified this is on the internet forever, (laughs) and then people are like, oh, where are they? It's And it's (laughs) the year 3000. Anyway, so... uh, We'll never make it to that. So, uh, Mama! <laughs> I got a show in February. 
If you'd like to see where we're performing, go to ghoulishdelights.com or mysteriousoldradiolistingsociety.com and we'll update you there. And that's where also you'll see links to buy tickets to come see us live or watch us online. Uh, again, performing uh, recreations of old-time radio dramas and a lot of original radio audio theater. All right. So that being said, what's coming up next? Next is episode 250 of this podcast, Whoa. gentlemen. That's right. Our 250th podcast. What the? I know, right? We've done this 250 times. We've sat yeah. and BS. Yeah, it feels like 500. But <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we will be listening to a series we have never listened to before. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes starring Sir John Gilgood as Sherlock Holmes, Ralph Richardson as Watson, and Orson Welles as Professor Moriarty. Until then... Look out! <coughs> Open your valve. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs>